Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Motives, Blessings, and Curses, Numbers 22 through 24, all scriptures read from the ESV version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. Do you think it's possible to be doing everything right and God still to be angry with you? Well, that's exactly what happens to the man in our passage today. He's doing exactly what God told him to do and God still comes out and opposes him because he's doing it for the wrong reasons. He's doing it for his own gain and not because he's trying to obey God. You'd think that God would just be happy that he's doing what he asked and it wouldn't matter what his purposes were. But if that's all that mattered to God, then he would have just made us robots. He gave us a heart for a reason because he cares about our motives. He cares about what we care about. He cares about the things that matter to us. And so our actions matter, but also so do our motives. So let's go ahead and begin talking about this passage. I'm not going to read all of Numbers 22 through 24. That's three chapters of reading. And so I'm going to pick and choose and summarize where I can. Um, so at the beginning of verse 22, it just starts telling us that the Israelites had completed their conquests on the eastern side of the Jordan. Remember last week they defeated the kings of Sihon and Og. And so this is all of the land on the eastern side of the Jordan that is from Moab all the way up to the mountains and then um, as far east as Ammon. And now they have settled in the land of Moab right across from Jericho, which is on the western side of the Jordan River. And because they've settled here, the king of Moab, whose name is Balak, he is worried about this. They are a great nation of people and they're in his land right now. And he doesn't know what they're going to do. He's unaware that God has told them that they can't bother him. And so he wants to defeat these people, but he knows there's no way for him to do that without divine intervention. And he just so happens to know a man who is a diviner. Um, and this man's name is Balak. And he thinks that if he can get Balak to curse these people, then they will be cursed and he will be able to defeat them. Now, before we read any of this passage or talk about it any further, I want to let you know what a diviner is. This is someone who tries to determine the divine things by omens or signs or something of that nature. And so this would include, you know, witchcraft, um, omens, spells, calling up the dead, soothsayers, sorcerers, mediums, spiritists, anyone who communicates with the spirit world and tries to discern the will of the gods um, and not by talking to the Holy Spirit, not the spirit world, but the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, or um, discern the will of the one and only God. And so the people of Israel and we are not supposed to consult um, fortune tellers and, uh, those who speak to the dead and witches and all of those things because they talk to, uh, the spirits and the gods. And we do not do that. We know that none of those people know anything anyway. They don't even exist. Um, the, the gods do not even exist. 
Listen to what it says in Psalm 136 about why God is the only one that we should be seeking for any divine answers. Give thanks to the Lord, the boss. That's the first reason, because he is the boss. Um, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. So he is the God. Out of all the gods, he's the God. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. He is the boss of all bosses. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule the day and the moon and the stars to rule over the night. The one that created all the things. Why wouldn't you talk to him? These other gods didn't do this. Verse 11. The one who brought Israel from among them. For his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For his steadfast love endures forever. It keeps repeating that because the Psalms are a song. So it's saying, um, you know, we're giving thanks to this person for he's the one that did this and this and this. And then every line says, for his steadfast love endures forever. I'm just not reading that every single time. Verse 13, to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. And he gave their land as an inheritance, a heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low state, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescues us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. So again, that was said at the end of every line. I just skipped it in some of them. And then listen to what Isaiah says about what God does to diviners. This is Isaiah 44, 24 and 25. And it says, thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the one who has um, bought you back. He created you and now you are his, your redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. (laughs) So he's saying, why would you talk to anybody else when I'm the only one that has done any of these things? And then verse 25, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners and turns the wise men back and makes their knowledge foolishness. So God is the only one who knows anything. You can go to all of these people all you want, but they're not going to have divine knowledge that the Lord God has. And then Daniel tells this to the king Nebuchadnezzar whenever Nebuchadnezzar is looking for someone to interpret his dreams. This is what Daniel says to him, Daniel 2, 27 and 28. Daniel answered the king and he said, No wise men... No enchanters, no magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mysteries that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be done in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay on your bed are these. And then Daniel interpreted the king's dreams because God spoke through Daniel, because Daniel asked the one true God, the only one who knows the divine will. So we're not supposed to be talking to those other people. God is the only one, and this is all of the reasons. But Balak doesn't know God, and he does know Balaam, and Balaam is said to know the divine will by some sort of discernment. And 
it's said that if he curses people, they're cursed. And if he blesses people, they're blessed. So Balak goes to another tribe that is near him. This is a nomadic tribe. These are the Midianites. They're traveling around. They don't live in this land, but they're near him at this moment. And these people also happen to be um, descendants of Abraham through his wife Keturah that he married after Sarah died. And both of these people are concerned about the Israelites being so many and living in this land. And so they both decide, yes, let's go to Balaam and ask him if he will um, curse these people. So they sent messengers to Balaam and they explained their situation and they asked if he would curse them. And Balaam said, I don't know. I have to ask God, stay the night here and I'll let you know in the morning. And God says, no, you cannot curse them because I have already blessed them. And so Balaam sent the messengers home and said, I'm sorry, I can't curse them. Well, that didn't satisfy Balak. And so he sent some more messengers that were more honorable and asked Balak again. And this time he says, this is verse 17 of Numbers 22. He says, I will do you great honor and whatever you say to me, I will do. Just come and curse the people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may go to the Lord and see what he says to me. And God came to Balaam that night and he said, If the men have come to call you, rise and go with them, but only do as I tell you. Now, Balaam shouldn't have even asked God again. God had already given him an answer. But presumably, um, because of the things that we learn later about Balaam, he wanted God to change his mind. These possessions and this honor that the king was going to give to him sounded good to him. And so he was hoping that maybe there was a way that he could please God and also please himself. And so he was going back to God saying, are you sure, you know, maybe it would be okay because, you know, he's going to give me all these things and, you know, maybe it'd just be all right if I just went with him. Maybe I don't have to to do everything he's asking. Just let me go and do a little bit of stuff, right? So he's trying to make a compromise with God instead of just fully obeying what the Lord said. He's like, maybe I can get what I want and you can get what you want too. And so that was Balaam's first mistake. But God said, fine, go, but you can only do what I've told you that you can do. And so Balaam sets out with these um, men and I'm going to actually read this portion. This is 22 beginning in verse 21. And it says, so Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road and a drawn sword was in his hand. The donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field and Balaam struck the donkey to turn her to the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, he pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way for them to turn to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. And then Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. And so then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and the donkey said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said, because you made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand and I'd kill you right now. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden all of your life this long day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And Balaam said, no. And then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And so Balaam bowed down and fell on his face 
And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. It is contrary to my order. And so I've come out to oppose you. And this donkey saw me and he turned aside before me these three times. If he hadn't turned aside before me, surely just now I would have killed you and I would have let her live. And then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned for I didn't know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I'll turn back. And the angel of the Lord said, no, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. And so Balaam went ahead with the princes of Balaam. So first of all, very strange story. That's why I wanted to read it to you. I wanted you to hear it in the words of God and not in my own. Um, strange that he had no reaction to this animal just talking back to him. And he even reasoned back with him. He's like, you know, why did you hit me? And he just tells him why he hits him. So this is all very strange. Wonder why God used this animal to speak through. God could have just spoken through the angel. He could have shown him the angel immediately. He didn't do that. Some have speculated, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But that some of the people, the way that they would discern the divine will would be to sacrifice animals and look at their livers. And something about that told them some will of the gods. And so maybe Balaam did something like this. He does sacrifice animals every time that he speaks to Balak and tries to discern the divine will. And so maybe this was part of his practice. He does use the animals either way. So maybe that's why God used the animal to actually, instead of, you know, showing him the will through the animal's liver, he just lets the animal talk right to him. Maybe that's why. We don't really know. It is strange that he doesn't react at all. And it's a real weird story. But this is what happens. And God is standing in opposition to Balaam because he's doing this for the wrong reasons. He says, you're doing this contrary to my reasoning and your ways are contrary to my reasoning. So God is opposing him. And Balaam comes out and he says, I didn't know you were opposing me. I just thought the donkey was being annoying. And so I was mad at him. If I would have known that you were coming out to oppose me, I wouldn't have gone. Do you want me to just go back? And God said, no, I want you to go, but I want you to do what I say exactly how I say and not just do what you want and get all of the glory and all of the honor and the possessions that the king is giving to you. And so Balaam says, okay, now what can we learn from this? Before we move on, I just want us to not be like Balaam, where God is opposing us and we don't know why, right? We can do the same things as him. We can twist it where, okay, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, but I'm also going to get what I want out of this. And that's not obviously what God wants. And he will stand in opposition to us also if we're doing it for the wrong reasons. So I want to read you a couple of verses that explain maybe some of why God might come stand out against us, how some of our reasons can be wrong. First one is John five forty four, and it says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? And that's what Balaam was doing. He was seeking glory for himself from the king and not the glory that would come from God. And so How do we ever receive glory? How do we ever have faith if we're not looking to God for that? 1 Timothy 6.10, we actually read this in a whole passage last week, but this is just one small verse out of that passage. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so we could be doing it for the wrong reason to get money. And that is just the start of of all of the bad things. It says, through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And so that is what we do not want to do, right? And then Isaiah 55, 6 through 9 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. 
call upon him while he is near. So again, him and not these other gods and spirits. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then this is this is the part of it. For my thoughts, this is God speaking, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so if we're going to truly have faith in him, then we're just going to trust him and we're going to do what he wants, even if it doesn't make sense to us, because God says most of my ways and my ideas and all of that are not going to make sense to you because I am a divine being. I know all things and you don't. And so we need to just trust him and do what he says, even if we don't want to, but not because we're doing it for our own personal gain, but because we're doing it to obey him. And so I'm going to read you a couple of verses on just obeying God and how he will change our thoughts to match our actions if we are doing it for the right reasons. So Psalm 37, three through six says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So it says, trust in the Lord and do good. Do what he's telling you to do. Be faithful to him, delight in him, and then he will give you the things that you want. Does that mean that if we just do what God says, he's going to give us everything we want? No, but it says, it doesn't say do what he says and he'll give it. He says, delight in me. And if we delight in him, then we care about what he cares about. And then he is going to help us care about that thing too, help us want that thing too. And then he will be able to give us the things that we want because they will line up with the things that he wants. God can change hearts, but we have to be willing first to act in a way that is pleasing to him. And then he will, he will help us along the way. Proverbs 16, one through three also says this. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So he says, you know, you can want to do all you want to do, but I get the final say. If I want you to do it, then you should. If I don't, then you shouldn't. Verse two, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord's, the Lord weighs the spirit. So it may seem logical to us, but God knows our heart and God cares about that. And so then it says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So if we will commit to just doing what God says, regardless of what makes sense to us, regardless of what we want to do, then God will establish our plans. And so Anytime that we make a decision on something, we need to always pray that God will open our eyes to his opposition like he did to Balaam and that he will help us to do what is right for the right reasons and not for our own selfish reasons. This is what it says in James 4, 3. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. You ask to spend it on your own pleasures. And so if we're doing it for our own selfish gain, then God's going to say, no, you know, if I, I'm fine giving this to you, it has nothing to do with that, but you want it for the wrong reasons. You're caring more about yourself than about me and my kingdom and my people. And so, no. So this is one reason that God would oppose us. Listen to what it says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven, that's the person that, that will enter heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, how can they be workers of lawlessness if they followed the law, if they obeyed God? It's the same thing we've been talking about here with Balaam. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. And so Jesus in that day is going to say, I never knew you. You weren't doing this because you had a relationship with me. You weren't doing this because you cared about me. You were doing it because it made you look good. You were doing it because other people said, oh, look at her. She's doing such a good job. She cares about the poor. and She helps all of the people that need it. And she does all of these things. You were doing it for yourself. And if you are like Balaam and you do it for yourself and you're not doing it for me, then what use do I have for you? And why does God want us in heaven with him if we have no relationship with him, if we've never been doing what he wants because it's what he wants, if we've never been listening actually to him, talking actually to him, if we've just been following a bunch of rules to do what he wants us to do, but not because we're trying to to please him, but because we're trying to look good for ourselves, because we're trying to get honor for ourselves because we're trying to get money for ourselves. Maybe we've just seen that God's ways work and they help us out. And that's why we're doing it. So that's what this verse says. Hard verse, but it helps us to understand that what God cares the most about is our motives. He wants us to do what we're supposed to do because we care about what he cares about. And the reason that we care about that is because of all the things that we already talked about, because of who he is and what he does, how much he loves his children, and that his rules are good for us, yes, but they're also good uh, for him. And we're following them because we trust him. So... Let's move on. This is the end of verse 22 of chapter 22 uh, and the beginning of chapter 23. When Balaam gets to Balak, Balak starts asking him, you know, why didn't you come the first time that I asked you? And so Balaam explains, you know, I was asking God. God told me no. I asked him the second time when y'all came back. He said I could come, but he said I can't curse the people. So I don't really know what you want me to do here. That's what I've been told by God. And apparently Balak is still hopeful. So he brings Balaam in the morning up to Bamoth Ball, which is the top of a mountain where he can see, it says a fraction of the people of Israel. And the reason that he can only see a fraction of the people of Israel is because when the people camped, they camped in a square around the tabernacle. And so three tribes were on the south side, three tribes were on the north side, three tribes were on the east side, three tribes were on the west side. And so they could only see the three tribes that they were looking at from that direction. And so he says, um, I want you to curse these people. And so Balaam begins his uh, divination ritual which is presumably part of discerning the will of the gods and tapping into the spirit world, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and begin reading in 23.1. And it says, Balaam said to Balak, Build here for me seven altars, prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And so Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered on the altar a bull and a ram. And then Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering and I will go and perhaps the Lord will come to me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And so then Balaam went up higher on the mountain to talk with God. And then Balaam says, I've arranged these seven altars and I've offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Verse five. So the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and he said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside the burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. But how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him. From the hills I behold him. 
Behold, a people dwelling alone, and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number even a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. So he's saying, I can't curse these people. God has not cursed them. As a matter of fact, God has completely blessed them. Look at how abundant they are. I can't even count the fourth of them that I see right here. If I could have such a death, such a life as they do, you know, that's what he's saying. And so Balak is not happy. This is verse 11. Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and behold, you've done nothing but bless them. And so then he says, must I not take care to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? He says, I told you I couldn't say anything that God didn't tell me to say. And this is what God told me to say. But Balak wasn't willing to give up. And so he had paid this fee. He'd gone to all the trouble for Balaam to be there. And without divine intervention, he was not going to defeat the people. And so he takes Balaam up to the top of another mountain, the top of Pisgah. And he says, you know, will you curse them from here? Apparently looking at a different, you know, maybe he's not going to curse those three tribes, but he'll curse the other three, right? Whatever. So he brings him up there. Balaam does his same uh, divination ritual and again goes to seek God's word after this. And this is what God says for Balaam to say to him. This is verse 18 of Numbers 23. So Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I can't revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold, a people, as a lioness, it rises up, and as a lion, it lifts itself. It doesn't lie down until it has devoured its prey and drunk the blood of the slain. So he says, I can't curse them. As a matter of fact, God told me to bless them. I can't turn away the blessings of God. There's nothing I can do about it. Once God has blessed a, ple a people, I can't do anything about it. And this is definitive. It says, God is not a man that he can lie. If he said he was going to bless these people, then they will be blessed and there's nothing I can do about it. And then he talks about them being a lion and a lioness. Basically, they're the king of the jungle and you need to back off. And I would assume that if you come in contact with a lion, the best thing to do is lay low, you know, hide, hope they don't see you. But Balak is not satisfied to do that. He's afraid that eventually the lion will find him and they, he will kill them. And so he wants to be proactive and go ahead and just kill the lion when the lion isn't suspecting it. And so he continues to ask Balaam to curse the people. So this is Numbers 24, and it says, When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he didn't even go as other times and look for omens. Instead, he just faced the wilderness and lifted his eyes, and he saw Israel camping. And the Spirit of God just came to him and told him what to say. And so he took up this discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes have been opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the visions of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. Like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agog, and his kingdom shall be exalted. 
God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with many arrows. He crouched. He lay down like a lion and like a lioness. Who can rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. So first he he says, you know, God is the one who's opened my eyes. God has revealed to me the fullness of his blessing towards Jacob. And then he just kind of begins to recite all of the ways that Jacob has been blessed. And then he ends with the Abrahamic blessing. Remember when God called Abraham in Genesis 12 at the very beginning, he said, those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. And this was Balak's cue, right? If you want to be blessed, then bless God's people. And if you don't, then the surest way to be killed, which is what you're worried about, is to curse God's people. You're asking me to curse them, but I'm telling you, if you want your life preserved, then you do not need to curse them. Instead, you need to bless them because everyone that blesses God's people is blessed. So that's what he's telling him. But again, he will not listen. And so Numbers 24, 10 says, Balak's anger was kindled kindled against Balaam and he struck his hands together. And Balak said, I have called you to curse my enemies and behold, you have blessed them three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from my honor. He's trying to say, I was going to give you a lot of stuff, but you decide to follow God, see where that gets you. And Balaam's like, yeah, I will. I'll see where that gets me. And so verse 12, Balaam said, did I not tell you and your messengers whenever they sent me, if Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I wouldn't be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that is what I will speak. And so now behold, I'm going to my people, but come and let me show you what these people will do to you in the latter days. So he says, I'll leave. But first, I want to tell you all that God has revealed to me. And so he took up his discourse again, and it says, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye has been opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of the Lord, who knows the knowledge of the Most High, he has discerned the divine knowledge, right? He knows the divine, the, the knowledge of the God of Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I hold, behold him, but he's not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Adam shall be dispossessed. Sire also, his enemy, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. One from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. And then he looked on Amalek and he took up his discourse and he says, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And then he goes on to look at the Midianites because they had also called on Balaam to curse them. And he says that they would also be defeated and captured. And then at that point, only the people that God wanted to be alive would be alive after all of these other people had been killed. And then Balak talks about some ships that are going to come from the coast of Cyprus. That's an island that's west of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. And he says, ships will come from there and they will afflict Eber and Asher. These are two of Shem's sons uh, or descendants. Uh, Shem is Noah's son. These are ascendants of Abraham. So God's people, it says some of the people are going to come from Cyprus. They're going to attack my people, but we're going to prevail in the end. This is how things are going to go when the star of Jacob comes, when the scepter rises out of Israel. This is Balaam seeing the Messiah. He sees that Jesus is coming and he's coming through the tribe of Jacob. This is the third 
son of Israel. That is who Jesus comes from. And he is the one that is going to do all of these things. When Jesus comes, he is going to destroy Moab and Midian, which is Keturah's sons, Lot's sons. He's going to destroy the Amalekites. Um, because they came out against them. He's going to destroy Edom because Edom wouldn't let them pass through. All of the people that had stood against them. He's given a lot of them, you know, grace right now because they are Abraham's descendants. But he says, you won't last because you did come out and stand against my chosen ones, the Israelites. And so he just explains, this is what your fate is going to be. And I can't change that. And you already made your decision. And then this is all confirmed in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 23, verses 3 through 6. It says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they didn't meet with you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord your God wouldn't listen to Balaam, and instead the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all the days forever. So whenever they're about to go into the promised land, Moses is reminding them of everything that has happened. And he says, when you get into this land, you are never supposed to make treaties with these people. They are not your friends. They have, they've tried to curse you, and the only reason that you aren't cursed is because of God. So this is grace, right? This is, this is grace that God gave the Israelites something that they didn't deserve. They didn't earn. He gave it to them because they're his people. We don't deserve his love and his favor, but he gives it to us freely because we belong to him, because we're his children. And, you know, we understand this. We give to our children, not because they're good to us, not because they do great things, not because they're good people, but because we love them. So listen to what it says in Matthew 7, 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So he blesses us because he wants to, you know, because he loves us and we are his children. And once he chooses to bless us, no one can revoke it. We have that comfort knowing that he's with us and his power is also with us. And so I'm going to read you a couple of verses on that. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. And then Romans 8 31 and 32 says, What then shall you say to these things? If God is for us, then who could be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he was willing to give his son for us, what more will he give us, right? No reason to concern ourselves with what God is able to do for his children. And then verse 34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died and then he was raised and now he lives at the right hand of God and is interceding there for us. So who can separate us from the love of Christ? And then it just talks about all these different things. Can any of these things separate us? And it says, no, all of these things cannot separate us because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's verse 37. I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor present things or things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So nobody can stand against God and win. And so just like Balak should have done, we need to honor the king and we need to acknowledge his power. Don't provoke the lion, right? Don't provoke the lion. He will rise up against us if we do that to stand in opposition towards us. Romans eleven twenty nine says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. No one can change what God has decided. Psalm 115, 12 through 16 
The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. And so it starts out by saying he um, will bless the house of Israel. And then he says he'll bless all of his children who you now are if you fear him. And you will receive the blessings of the Lord. The earth is a blessing to us, given to us by God. And so who and what God blesses is what we should bless. If Balak would have listened and done that, then he would have been spared. We want to ally ourselves with God and the people that are with him. Now, one last thing I want to talk about before we end. I know we're running long, but Balak says that God cost him honor. God cost Balaam honor because Balak was going to honor him, but he refused to do what he asked. And so God cost him that. And I just want us to to realize that no gift, no honor given by man can ever surpass the things that God is able to give to his children. And so First Chronicles 29, 12 says, both riches and honor come from you, Lord, you roll over it all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. All of that is in God's hands. Proverbs thirteen seven. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. And another pretends to be poor and has great wealth because they have God. Now, the Bible does also tell us that it will be costly for us to follow him just like it was for Balaam. God did cost him that honor that he was going to receive from the earthly king, but he received so much more in his place. So I do want to say that, uh, show you a couple of verses where God says it will cost you. It'll cost you to, to follow me. So you need to weigh those costs. Mark 10, 17 is a story about a man who comes to Jesus and says, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus first says, keep the commandments. And he said, I've already done that. I've kept them since I was a child. And he said, okay, well, there's one thing that you lack. This is verse 21. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You have, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. And the man wouldn't do it. He said he had great riches and he couldn't give them away. And so the great riches that he couldn't give away on this earth, it cost him heaven. It cost him the riches of heaven. And so it may look to us on this earth, hey, I'm losing all of these things, but it's worth it. Peter then replied and he said, hey, we left everything to follow you. What about us? Do we receive good things? And this is verse 29 of Mark 10. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive from me a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And so he says, yeah, if you've left everything to serve me, you're going to gain so much more. You're going to gain a hundred times more than what you've lost by just following me. Luke fourteen twenty seven says, whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me can't be to my disciples. So whoever doesn't die to the things that he wants will not be my disciple. And that's what Balaam didn't want to do. He didn't want to die to his own desires. He wanted to follow God and he wanted to get what he wanted. And God says, no, you have to dismiss what you're wanting if it's contrary to what I want. It may cost us a lot in this world, but the costs are temporary and they're unimportant in the grand scheme of things, right? Following him is never going to cost us the precious, the important, the eternal things. Never. 
Spiritual things can't be taken away by men, and they're the only things that matter. Those things are given to us by God, and His gifts are the only ones that we should desire and the only ones that we should seek because they're the only ones that really last and the only ones that really matter. And so I'm going to end with four passages that just reiterate this to us, that the things that really matter are the things of God. Romans 8, 5 through 12 says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's laws. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh can't please God. You, however, aren't in the flesh. You're in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to flesh, not to live according to flesh, but we are debtors to the Spirit. And then 2 Corinthians 4.18, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, the spiritual things. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So these are the things that we need to be focusing on. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things of this earth. And then 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life that is not of the Father, but of the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So we want to be the person that does what God wants and follows him for the right reasons, because we love him, because we trust him, because we want to obey him, because we want to do the things that he has asked us to do, because he deserves that, because we are debtors to him, because the spiritual things are the things that last, because the things that we're seeking on this world don't matter. The things that the kings and the people can give us don't matter. In the long run, they're going to be gone. They're fleeting just like our lives are. And so this life seems important to us. Even if we live a hundred years, we think all of these things are important, but a hundred years is nothing in eternity. And so what we get here on this earth, what we gain here does not matter. And so we want to be the people that follow God and do the things that he asks us to do because we trust him and we're seeking after the things of him. So that's what we can learn from Balaam and Balak today. Next week, we're going to continue on with the story of the Israelites on the eastern side of the Jordan. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. If you haven't, go over to livethroughjesus.com and get your free Bible study. And then also look at the blog posts that are there. There will be a blog post that coincides with this uh, lesson also. And it focuses a little bit differently on some different aspects of this. Doesn't go through the whole thing. And then join me on all social media. Thanks and have a good day. Mm -hmm.